Hello and welcome to Court Games, a Legend of the Five Rings podcast, paid for by the Legend of the Five Rings community discord. This podcast will focus on the role-playing game stories and lore for Legend of the Five Rings. I'm Kova. I'm Kikita Kaori. And we have a special guest today. We have Thomas, who goes on the Discord by Akoto Yama. Want to say hello? Yeah, hello. Um, I'm honored to be here and happy to talk all things line. <laughs> so that's what I hope to cover today. Yep, uh, that will be in our little second segment. But uh, first, a bit of news. We have the Worlds is coming up November 6th to the 10th. Uh, where is that taking place? In the FFG HQ in um, it's Minneapolis. Sorry. Minneapolis, yes. Mm. They will have a couple of role-playing game events there. It's mostly for the card game, and they haven't decided any announced any storyline decisions. But it is the Winter Court for the emperor empire every year that they have and last year it was scorpion and this year it looks like it's going to be crane Go there, there should there should be some stuff happening given what's been going on in the fiction so <laughs> as we get more news we will get it to you fair listeners absolutely but there hasn't been much of the other news coming out we haven't heard any updates on uh ronan happenings or anything else so we thought we'd take time today and talk about mono clan campaigns yep although it is very traditional for the idea of a a legend of five rings campaign to somehow accommodate anybody from any clan there's a lot to be said for setting everything within a single clan and exploring those themes uh, in more depth. And so we've come up with, well, I've got to say, mostly Cowery uh, <laughs> has come up with <laughs> some <Don't> ideas. That. <laughs> um, well, we, each clan has different themes, and we have talked about mono clan campaigns. They are the easiest to pull together a group. If everybody agrees that they're going to play the same clan, it is the easiest to go send on missions together because you, you all have the same lord and you all can just go off together and be assigned together. It's very straightforward. But there are, each clan has themes or notes, story notes that seem to really resonate with parties for that specific clan. And so we thought we'd give you some ideas of what we saw those themes as being and then maybe some kinds of campaigns that you can play out of them. And I think the most straightforward one to do is crab, because crab have a great, straightforward, unique-to-themselves theme. Yeah, the the crab have this particular overarching thing that absolutely everybody in the clan is involved with, which is the fight against the Shadowlands. So that's one of the big themes, the hardship of the unending battle, the fact that pretty much everything everybody does is in some way aimed at that specific thing in a way that I don't think any of the other clans are. They they are very straightforward when you look at it like that, but they do have a lot of interaction with basically everyone. Oh, sure, sure, yeah. But it's it's how that theme ties in on their whole thing it's the wall of fighting against the challenge that's their main drive but 
you can have a whole campaign that doesn't even take uh, anywhere near the wall, just having the interaction with the other clans and uh, getting favors and, and supplies. But yeah, like you said, the, the wall is always something that's in the, in the background. I mean, exactly. I mean, they're getting, they'll be trying to get supplies and we're trying to get favors. But in the end, all those supplies and all those favors are for the war against the Shadowlands, which I think is a, an interesting twist to the crab specifically, which could be a lot of fun. But you're quite right. right. I mean, you don't have to be at the wall at all. Mm -hmm. Now, if you do play one that's not on the wall, Crab have some fun themes going along with this this counterculture where you have this strong drive to um, support the wall. But you play it's a little bit of a a fish out of water uh, campaign because you've got these warriors playing in the courts you can have this we are counter this culture we're playing in which is this courtly culture because we're trying to support the the culture back home um, <laughs> so uh you, you've got a few uh points here like um if we want to continue on with, with the crap like um the different kinds of one of the things you mentioned is horror which i think is probably pretty unique to the crap since they're the ones directly dealing with that certainly for a long extended i mean pretty much it could happen anywhere in any campaign but the crab campaigns really lend themselves to like a sustained campaign that revolves around that yes we we saw a little bit about that with um mask of the oni would you say that that's in that genre like going into the shell and seeing all the true terrors that are there you like that could be a setting off point for for a more well mental game let's say you get that too i mean you get the obvious kind of we are being swarmed by hordes of zombies type horror and the uh some horrible menace beyond imagining lumbering towards the wall and and how do you deal with that but you also have the more um insidious the slower paced Insidious is exactly what I was looking for. Thank you. <laughs> but no, exactly. The insidious, there is someone amongst us who is not what they seem to be, but we don't know who. <clears throat> and there's always the, the, the fear when going into Shadowlands of taking something or someone back. Mm. Yeah. Which I, I think that's very... Like, those are interesting ideas, but I think, at least in my opinion, they're very hard to pull off. We could, we have talked about the horror campaigns before and and ways to make them stronger but I think having the uh, conflict in the courts or even you can have a good Yasuki trading campaign which is supporting uh, the other clans and the crab against the other clans is a big big help to them. Oh, yeah, yeah, I, I think that would be quite an interesting one if you kind of say, um, we're going to do a crab campaign. Everyone's going, okay, the wall, I'm going to play Heater, and we're going to be fighting Shadow. And so, right, it's all going to be about wheeling, dealing, trading, and trying to bankrupt the Daidoji Trading Council. <laughs> I think that could be quite interesting, an interesting, an interesting idea well, for a campaign. And you've got that there. motivation for it. Absolutely. Um, so so you don't have to play uh, a crab campaign as horror, but just this idea all the time that the war is always on really pull, drives it. 
Right. So then we can talk about themes for the crane. Um, for crane, I, I like for crane working with this idea that it's a very hard, violent world and you're defending soft ideals in that world, whether it's art or, you know, just poetry or, you know, just, just soft ideals. Um, because that made such a big contrast between uh, that and the military life of samurai. And you've got other themes like uh, deep intrigue, because the crane are all about the favors and the politics and the complexities go along with that. So trying to get people to do what you want, either by favors or... Um, interrelationships, marriage, and, and all that kind of stuff, trying to get, get the things that you need for your clan. Right. A very deep court court game, a crane, crane, a full crane party is a very good way to do it because then you can play off the other courts as other clans as being your antagonists um, and, and really get into the intricacies of it if you want to do it that way. Uh, it's also something the, the the crane are kind of known for for their whole for their uh, courtly ways. There, like the current timeline is a little bit of an exception, but when you think crane, you usually think uh, courtly intrigue. Like they've got um, their clan culture uh, styles itself well to that being more political instead of focusing on the military. So we've got a party that is happy to. Uh, maybe never, ever, never, ever touch a sword. A uh, a monocrane uh, party could be a solution. Absolutely, it could. But some of the one of the nice things about playing crane, unlike uh, Scorpion, which is the other you know purely political uh, group, the the crane play the court straight and value this this peace aspect to it. So when you start crushing it, <laughs> when you make it so that doesn't work anymore, that's a good time for your party to shine. Yeah. Uh, there's, an, there's another element to the crane which I quite like, which is the struggle for perfection, because that's a, a key thing, especially with the Kikita Academy, that you're meant to be perfect. You, you're aiming for perfection, even if that's not something you can actually ever realistically really attain. But what you know, you there's a struggle within that what are you willing to give up what are you willing to sacrifice what are you willing to do to get to that perfection which is i think a a crane thing rather more than, it's it's an element in other in other clans as well but i really think it's something for the crane mm -hmm. to focus on it's got um that has a personal aspect you would almost need everybody striving for the same um type of thing doing something as a group effort to, to bring it out. It's a very good aspect for an individual crane character. It gets harder for a group. But one thing you find for a group as an honorable clan um, that struggles on the high end of being honorable, just like the lion does, um, crane are good ones to manipulate into this, into situations or set up a, campaigns around doing the honorable thing do, versus doing uh, what might be considered the good thing. <laughs> Uh, too. I, I find that that conflict works well with a, a crane group um, because everybody's trying to be both honorable and good um, and 
crane players are often people playing crane often set up their characters to want to be kind of both and sometimes it's hard to do yeah it's um, yeah, it's a contrast kind of with the um with the line in the unicorn like line characters i say are more towards the we want to be honorable all the time and unicorn kind of wants to be hey wants to be good and crane is, uh-huh. is there in the middle trying to straddle um that line of being both. Yep. Right. Exactly right. So th- you can set up that situation in a very traditional Magistrates game. A lot of Magistrates games seem to be set in this crane lands because you know, it's generally sort of got a peaceful vibe and then you start tearing things apart. Um, you can send your party of cranes to the wall to watch them flop around like a fish out of water, which is fun because then you really are compromising that honor or challenging it. Yep, or, or even just the front lines of the the current conflicts with the lion, for example, or another mm-hmm. straight up battle. Yeah, um, and then we spoke of the deep deep court intrigue campaigns where everybody's a crane uh, and fighting and never picking up a sword. Well, there's not to be forgotten that uh, crane also has the daidoji on on the wall, which is still a thing, thankfully. Mm. And um, while there isn't a exactly a shinobi school for the crane, uh, the Harriers uh, are still an institution, um, at least in the LCG. So there, so there. Um, while usually a diplomatic face, the crane do offer the uh, possibility for some interesting uh, military campaigns. Though those are probably a bit more out there well those are they are certainly out there uh possible and actually having those types you know if, you, if you're making a mono clan campaign you can expect to see people from all the different families of that clan in a mono clan campaign so having your let's say wall uh wall crane campaign yes you are fish out of water but at least you have one or two ints like the Daitoji, that that help kind of bring the transition in and make you not utterly helpless as a, as a group, um, and just just but it it gives you an into it that that can then grow. It's still an a fish out of water campaign, but it's not like you're on a different planet or something. Yep. So we can move on to dragon because the dragon has some interesting themes. Because the dragon are all about the inner mysteries of, uh, you know, the human nature, human spirit, and all that kind of stuff. Enlightenment. Uh, you have the searching for the truth, both internal and external. So the Kitsuki type mystery solving, but also supernatural mysteries. There are a lot of secrets and a lot of strange things in the Dragon Mountains, and their counterculture and because they have that thing of individuality rather than conformity that a lot of people have. Absolutely. Rock again. So, uh, yeah, that, that, that is very distinct for them is, is, you know, so many of the other clans really are about fitting in and, and the dragon, you really want to play that, that these are, people going their own path and you're not doing the normal thing, even if it's against Bushido, even if it's against the entire culture, you want to play up that difference because that is a little bit of a conflict within the dragon because they are still Rokugani 
and you might have some different takes within your group between the Miramoto and the Tagashi on, on issues like that, um, that are interesting questions to play with. Um, if you are playing a dragon campaign, though, you know, Kitsuki mystery solving is definitely classic. Yep. Especially given that you can have the mysteries have a supernatural twist as well as just the standard kind of murder mysteries. So that can bring in, you know, Yumiramoto, Yutogashi, Yuaku Kitsuki, the Agasha. They've all got a they've all got a role to play in those kind of games. Yeah, and the idea of the Kitsuki as the Sherlock Holmes uh, does um well not exactly uh one on one comparison. It it does um have that appeal of a murder mystery kind of scenario. There's also the Togashi, because sometimes the Togashi there's this thing called enlightened madness, and uh, that can be a, th- a theme. You know, what where can enlightenment take you, and what you may have to chase down an enlightened Togashi who has gone a bit strange, and stop them from doing terrible damage because those who are enlightened very often have a lot of power, and they don't necessarily use it in the way that uh, sensible people would. So yeah, that's certainly a possible. Uh archetype for for a campaign um just just having this rogue tagashi we had we had some in old five floor but is there's always a chance for a new one to pop up and do weird things um dragon are also great for the campaigns where you don't know what they're doing the the part the part of the adventure is figuring out what on earth you've been sent to do in the first place <laughs> yes because i like tagashi very famously in the current fiction just said send your army south help the prince and the two people who are kind of the, the two people mostly in charge have interpreted that in two different ways which may end up causing conflict or it's all according to plan it is entirely possible all according to plan all according to destiny who knows uh, like you said it's been str- uh, dangerous to gosh it's not like we're almost waiting for one to appear for for those who know the old uh, story. <laughs> mm, that's true. That will never happen again. No, no. But it could happen in your campaign. Absolutely. So let's skip along to Lion. Yeah, we have our special Lion guest here. You want to talk about uh, themes that you see for the Lion, Yama? Uh, gladly. So uh, the image people often have of the Lion is like, all they do is military stuff, fighting armies. So one of the things, like uh, you mentioned, is life in the military, in um, in camp intrigues, which are usually between you, uh, your party, who would likely uh, form their own uh, units, depending on their mix up of schools and uh, families. Mm-hmm. And it uh, the intrigue would likely be uh, between. Uh, your party and superior officers or jostling for uh, position. So, uh, so mm-hmm. it's very con- so the um, NPCs and the characters are very contained, but there's a lot of, of danger involved because there's uh, a lot of fighting because you're in an army, you're either fighting uh, if you're using the current lore, the crane or upcoming the unicorn. So that it's also 
um, a way of playing where you could use the mass battle system, which I know isn't often used, but it's something GMs always have a look at anyway, and then uh-huh. uh, and then often just skip. Because I, I like uh, the mass battle system a lot. I haven't used it a lot because the problem it has, in my opinion, is it puts one guy in the spotlight, who is then the commander, and the rest does things. <laughs> I don't know how you see that. Yes, uh, it, it's a difficult one to use. We should definitely do an episode on the mass battle system. But I have I have ideas for that, so I have to cook on those for a while. Um, they're good. Lion are good in encampments also for basically translations of uh, World War II or other um, war stories. Just, you know, whether it's a, a Saving Private Ryan or a... a any any of these these war stories, even Apocalypse Now, you can, you can play some very interesting um, stories out of Lion using that uh, military unit cohesion to really keep your group very tight-knit as you go through some of these very uh, interesting scenarios. Um, they're also good for... They have a big emphasis on defending tradition and traditional honor. Um, and so when you put them in a, a court campaign, you want to have them being the ones upholding very traditional values against courtiers that aren't necessarily doing the same. And the other aspect of them is because they are very much the Bushido above all type of samurai putting them in situations where that causes serious conflict between being a good person and being an honorable person following Bushido, but also the conflict of the letter of the law, letter of the tradition versus the spirit of it. I think that can be, you've got a rich vein there to mine for for ideas and for themes. Yes, saying it kind of simply uh, playing a rules as as written line versus a rules as intended, so to say, are two very different characters. Right, where in another clan, they wouldn't necessarily be so bound to the rules as written. Yeah, like uh, some, some people have a tendency to play line very much. This is what the rules say and, and that's it. Well, um, that that, uh, takes away a lot of chance for creativity and for interpretation, which always happens. Like, everyone tries to interpret the rules in their own way in a setting, and the line do as well. So they, at least they say, or uh, they like to adhere to the the, um, spirits of it. Yeah, in some cases, literally, given they, they kind of try and deal with their ancestors in ways that a great many others don't. They're very strong on the ancestor worship side of spirituality. Yeah. So. Right. So that can be a whole campaign is, is an ancestor says through a Kitsu, I need you to do this for me. That's, that's not a campaign for any other clan as much as mm. it would be for lion. And that's a, that's a perfectly good campaign tool for lion. Yeah, for, for words from the ancestors are a very important thing for the, for the line, as they uh, uphold them up above a lot a lot of things. If your ancestor 
say, uh, you need to do this. Yeah, you better do it, or they'll hunt you. <laughs> and they will too. So hopefully that's some good ideas. We will have to talk about Phoenix and Scorpion and Unicorn campaigns next time because we did have Yama on for talking a bit more about the lion. So we should do that, huh? Sounds yeah, let's do that. <laughs> All right. So, um, who was a Kodo? So everything in the Lion Clan is this clan of, as we've been talking about, very traditional, very militaristic uh, people who honor the ancestors was founded by the Kami Akodo. Um, so Yami, you do, do you want to talk about him or you want me to ramble on or how do you want to do this? Uh, you ramble on. I'm, as, I'm mostly quite biased, so having some else. <laughs> well, that's why you're here. Well, uh, okay. you, you start and I'll add on. All right. You chime in. All right. Yeah. Because I'm, I'm a crane, so I'm biased too. I'm, I play crane, so I'm biased too. We'll, we'll, anyway. we'll meet in the middle. We'll meet in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So Akoto was, uh, at least, I don't know if it was officially said, but he certainly acts uh, it as as one of the oldest, if not oldest, of the children of Onatagu and Amaterasu. Um, and when they fell to earth, uh, when Hante uh, cut open Onatagu, uh, and the, the kami had a fight over who would be the emperor, and on, uh, Okoto was the last one standing in the contest for the emperor, and he was defeated by Hante, but he could have potentially beaten him in a straight martial contest. But there, there, there. I have to say, this is one of the ones where there are quite a few versions of this because uh -huh. some of them, um, like what one one of the ones is that uh, Akodo is going. I'm brilliant. I'm totally beating him. I've got him on the run. He's on the ground, and then Hante. Reflects the sun off his blade into Akoda's eyes, at which point Akoda realizes that actually Hante could have taken him several times, mm -hmm. but it would have been lethal. So Hante has been holding back to not kill his brother. Yeah, there are definitely some interpretations in that. Yep. So one is that Hante didn't purposely do the uh, reflecting the light, but it was his uh, mother protecting him yep. or divine favor showing that uh, Hante was always meant to be emperor. Uh, mm -hmm. Another one uh, which shows a bit uh, how Okoto is, is that Akoto was definitely beating Hante but um, realized that he was almost willing to kill his own brother to become emperor, which uh, appalled him incredibly for what he was about to do. Mm -hmm. Yep. So it, it, it's it's really interesting that that particular conflict is the one that everyone kind of – there are lots of different opinions on. So that's actually very interesting to me. Mm -hmm. So um, we've talked in the p past when we've done these lore segments about how each of the kami interacted with this little old man called Shinsei. And um, Akoda was there when Hante and 
Shinsei were meeting and Shinsei was explaining about the Thunders and telling uh, Hante about, you know, basically at the writing of the Tao. And he got angry uh, and said that his way, Shinsei's way, was not, not his way. And he walked out. Mm. Uh, and uh, refused to follow Shinsei because Shinsei was not teaching Bushido. Bushido was actually developed by Okoto as the way of the warrior. And in response to his walking out, Hante got annoyed and uh, ordered that a copy of the Tao be placed in every lion dojo. And which which is what happened. There's a copy. Which is what happened. Absolutely. There's right there. Still in its shrink wrap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it was never been opened. So that uh, because Akoto said it is not his way. Yeah, so from uh, how I remembered, uh, he did not start angry. He First he uh, merely walked away and then got angry um with being with Hante clearly favoring Shinsei's uh, methods over this cool new thing Akoda was planning on implementing. <laughs> and that also kind of shows that Akoda had a little jealous streak, maybe. Mm-hmm. Mm. But yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, he, um, I believe he even uh, emphasized by either uh, grabbing his sword handle or in its sheath. Uh, when he said this, uh, this is my way to show that uh, he is not. A, Akoto is a, a a soldier, a warrior, and all, and what he does best is fighting. He is not one for thinking about the worlds. And it must be said, this has occasionally got him into trouble. Which so moving on to the next story, which is Akoto and the Kitsu, which. I mean, uh, there, there are some different versions of how this started, but they, the Akodo believed that there were a race of, of monsters, lions, only intelligent, and uh, he fought against them and nearly killed them all and then discovered at the last moment that they weren't simple, unthinking monsters. They were, in fact, intelligent beings. And he, at this point, there were, I think, I believe there was only five of them left. And the only thing he could do was offer them a part of his clan. And they transformed themselves into humans. And that's thus begun the Kitsu bloodline. But I think that's another one there where there are a few different versions of how that began and how that ended. Yeah, so the problem largely with that with the Kitsu was that Akoto had... And the rest of the Rogani had encounters with things like goblins, ogres, trolls, things that were there long before the humans, which is a whole nother story. Oh, yes. And this is a case where being unable to communicate um, was a very very big problem, as Akoto could not understand them, could not uh, see anything but... Um, monsters and went on this campaign which um, basically um, almost exterminated the entire race which I have a little a little tangent I have a problem 
with the card Kitsu uh, Warrior simply for existing. Because <laughs> okay, well, there shouldn't be any any Kitsu left. There shouldn't be any Kitsu left, and the fact that there's a that a card that exists annoys me to no end. <laughs> but I, I take it because yeah. Yeah. Maybe he's a time traveler. And I, I don't know. I mean, yeah. So yeah, it, it depends on what some some say it was that Akoto um, uh, offered his own uh, daughters uh, for the Kitsu. Some say it was um, just he he took them into the clan, but that's different inter- interpretations and telling of the tale. Like it's it's vague enough that um, you could make it what you want. I think one of the things I like best about Okoto is how he as a kami, as a, as a, as a kami, but as a human being grows in his stories. And this was an instance where he grows and he learns better and he realizes he made a mistake and, and goes on because that's not an image you see very much from the rest of the lion uh, it's not like Hida's story, which is definitely about picking up after your mistakes. But uh, he, Akoto keeps meeting people who challenge him. So one of the people that challenged him was uh, Ikoma. And he uh, goes into a bar. Of course, it's a bar for Ikoma. And Akoto meets this really old guy who is just boasting about all of his scars like crazy. Um and telling stories about them all and in the end ends up challenging Okoto because he's basically being really offensive and by the time he's Ikoma has finished talking about all of his scars and war war stories and and why he's going to uh, defeat Okoto because of it Okoto is probably laughing so hard that he makes him join the clan at least in my head canon <laughs> from uh my from what i know is akoto came to this village hearing about this amazing warrior unbeatable uh can do anything uh you can imagine and like you say he comes to this bar finds this very old and scarred man and akoto uh says are finds him and says are you the, are you the strong strongest man in the, in this uh bar and Nakomo says yes challenges him there and then and tell and tells him the tale of every scary god which is a phenomenal story because at, at least half of them were actually fights and not encounters with women he, so he <laughs> so he says but uh the best thing about it in my opinion is that at the end, Okoto says, "How how can I fight fight a man that has done that has seen so much? I cannot I cannot beat such a such a person. Like he is so impressed with this man's uh, tales, experience, and simple audacity. Like up till this point, Okoto has fought maybe hundreds of people, all claiming to be the strongest man alive, and here is this old man who shows no fear to him. Yeah." Ikoma's pretty cool. <laughs> He's great. He's my favorite. Anyway, so that's the source of... He, he joins Okoto and eventually is the source of the Akoma family. And the final follower of uh, Okoto, if you can call it that, 
is Matsu, Lady Matsu. So Lady Matsu was, depending on points of views and who wrote the histories, a bandit queen or maybe just a warrior. Um, but she was certainly a very, very fine warrior. And she, uh, Akoda was going around the countryside trying to round up all the finest warriors to be his followers. And she was willing to follow him. And he was incredibly impressed and incredibly taken with her. But when he asked her to marry him, she refused because... She said if she accepted, she would always be the wife of Akodo. But if she married someone else, they would always be the husband of Matsu. So, As, and, and so it has become, because I actually find it quite difficult to find the name of the guy she married. <laughs> it's hidden in history. Um, but Matsu was quite a character, so she has links to uh, many other characters. She became the Thunder. She... The sensei came to the lion asking for or looking for champions, and he was going to pick somebody else. All, all the noble lion followers were saying, pick me, pick me. And Matsu knocked out the person that he was going to pick in order to go follow Shinsei herself, because, well, obviously she was the strongest. Absolutely. And uh, she also has – she also started off a – Approximately thousand-year-old rivalry with the Kakita, due to the contest for the first contest for the Emerald Championship, in which Kakita, with his dazzling new style, uh, would defeat people in incredible speed, and then he would bow to them and be very, very polite and, and respectful. She, meanwhile, would clonk people over their head and then flaunt her victory. And right at the end, she came up against Kikita. They were the finalists. And Kikita won, but he did not bow to her because she had been so rude, in his opinion, to all her opponents. And the Matsu and the Kikita have disliked each other ever since. She, she would not uh, accept that as an answer. And... No. <laughs> no, she would not. I like Matsu. She's she's completely crazy. Yeah, it's it's something that's gone along in in the entire well family for those thousand years. Not only the rivalry, but the mentality. Like the the Matsu are definitely quite boasters among the line. Very impassioned. Yeah, which is a, a common samurai trait. If you look at the samurai dramas, that, that actually does crop up a lot. So it's a very classic samurai thing. One of the interesting questions that had come up on Discord this week is uh, what does honor as one of the virtues of Bushido mean? What do they mean? Um, and because the whole thing is honor, right? And the answer that I gave for that or what I tend to play with when I'm talking about that is honor is your dignity as a samurai, okay? And if you play honor as the dignity of a samurai, Matsu's not boasting just to boast it's just she's holding upholding the, her dignity as a samurai as her highest virtue of bushido whereas kakita is holding courtesy as the highest virtue of bushido and courtesy 
means putting yourself lower or, you know, bowing or otherwise respecting your enemies, that sort of thing. Whereas your dignity as samurai means, you know, holding yourself with the decorum and the, you know, receiving the respect of a samurai and being treated that, that way and not letting yourself be kicked around. So the virtues themselves are in conflict between Matsu and Kakita. It's not, she's not just boasting. It's just a different value of Bushido she's upholding. That makes a lot of sense, actually. It's cool. Yeah, it's, it's, it's very fitting because the, in, so in, in my opinion, um, Bushido is something you strive towards. It's like, it's often common that Bushido is impossible because it is. It's, in, it's, impossible for someone to do all the tenants perfectly because we're humans we're, we're we have faults we have uh, desires we have duties that um conflict at times with bushido so mm -hmm. in in my opinion a good samurai always strives to bushido and and never stops and never stops doing that I'll, always trying to um do what is um uh, what is most fitting for uh, what you're trying to do? Like, yeah, and and if you fail at a particular time, that doesn't mean you stop forever. That just means you try again next time. Yeah, exactly. And that, that's some. It's it's not a on-off switch. It's 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 <laughs> it's an on switch. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but it, that's some something some people might struggle with with the tenants like. It's okay to to fail at times. It's it's human. And one of the sins is regret. Yeah. So, uh, so how did Okoto die? Well, quite spectacularly. Um, very simply put, he yelled at a mountain and died. <laughs> Which is the short version of it. Um, the yeah. the longer version is, um, after the war with Fu Lang and. Basically, um, experienced the sh uh, slower aging that all the kami had, and he realized that he was nearing what would probably be his natural lifespan. Um, he didn't. He didn't want to uh, be old and feeble. He wanted to go out um, as Akodo, the great uh, soldier, the great warrior, and be remembered for that. So when he heard that. From the Shinomon Mori, a large army of monsters, goblins, oni. Um, I'm not sure if it's still in the current timeline. Uh, like Suno were also mentioned, I believe. Uh, for those who don't know, that Suno are kind of weird, dark, twisted versions of the Kitsu. Um, well, they're tangent. They're the warrior class of the Kitsu, which is all. Again, a whole nother story. It's 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 kind of convoluted. Anyway, um, so he um, he knew that um, he was very close by. I believe it was Ikoma. It was Kyuden Ikoma. He was at, which was near from the my Biden Pass. I want to say no, not Biden Pass. One of the passes in the Spine of the World Mountain, and he knew that. If he and he and his personal guard could get there a lot faster than gathering the army and and responding, which would have take taken months, perhaps. So we went there to that uh, pass, and him and his personal guard 
uh, stood their ground in the smallest point of the path where only five men uh, could stand side by side and they uh, fought to, uh, to the death and when Akoda was the last uh, alive he let out a tremendous uh, kia which uh, caused the avalanche that burned the entire army with together with him mm-hmm. so he went out with a bang yeah very much so pretty awesome <laughs> but I think that that's it for us today. We'd like to do a call out to our sister podcast, uh, Court Games for the LCG. Do either of you have any podcasts you want to give a shout out to? I would. F- so, if anyone uh, wanting to spend like three hours a podcast uh, listening to the to the last province. Uh, by Robert Denton and uh, friends. They do amazing uh, lore dice. So if you've got time to waste and want to hear all about swords, uh, that's definitely a place to go. And uh, Yuyama, you are in the uh, Dutch L5R community? Yes, uh, I'm uh, one of the core, I'll I'll say, uh, players there. I've been... um, member of the Dutch Alpha War community for over well, seven years at this point, having played uh, the old game and uh, even having been part of uh, Winter Courts 4 and 5 by AG and the uh, fanbase. Indeed. So, uh, you know, a shout out to the uh, Dutch L5R players. May you ho- hope you uh, enjoy your, your time as Shogun, though it's drawing time to <laughs> go to a close. With Eric Bauhaus out there. Uh, we're, we're just waiting for the renewal. No worries. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so that's that's it for us today. I hope uh, we'll talk to you in a couple weeks. Uh, this is Kikita Kaori. May the fortunes favor you. And until we meet again, keep your jade handy. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>